0: On our program today, we have John Gordon, best-selling author and keynote speaker on such topics as leadership, culture, sales, and teamwork. John's passion for developing positive leaders, organizations, and teams has inspired readers and audiences around the world. His principles have been put to test by numerous colleges and professional sports teams and Fortune 500 companies, including the Atlanta Falcons, the PGA Tour, Campbell Soup, and Wells Fargo. John is the author of several Wall Street Journal bestsellers and has been featured on the Today Show, CNN, and Fox & Friends. John has generously offered to share with us his insight from his book, Training Camp, What the Best Do Better Than Anyone Else, an inspirational story of an undrafted rookie trying to make it in and out. If I could wake up this morning, this would be a (laughs) lot smoother. John has generously offered to share with us insights from his book, Training Camp, What the Best Do Better Than Anyone Else, an inspirational story of an undrafted rookie trying to make it in the NFL. John, welcome to the program.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me.
0: Well, John, first of all, uh, when I was doing my research uh, on your book, uh, I was surprised to learn that training camp actually does refer to the NFL uh, in terms of their preseason getting people ready for the upcoming uh, season. And I didn't realize that that was a reference towards actually the NFL, and um, and so I, when I read your book and stuff, I thought, well, this is interesting as you walk people through the the progression of what actually happens there. But what I was curious about was what was the um, the genesis of the inspiration behind writing training camp?
1: Well. When I was speaking to the Atlanta Falcons, I talked about my book, The Energy Bus, Mm -hmm. and Coach had them all read The Energy Bus. I spoke to the team, and as I was leaving the training camp facility and heading to the airport, this idea for training camp just came to me. I wanted to write about a coach and a player. Now, to me, it was more of a teacher and student story. Sports was just the backdrop to have this teacher-student relationship to share these lessons and principles of, of what the best do better. So I was really about sharing these principles, but I thought it would make a really good story if we framed it around this NFL experience of a rookie trying to make it in the NFL. He's small, he's undrafted, no one thinks he can do it, sort of like the Rocky story, the underdog, but he has to overcome all this adversity, all these challenges, and his own own fear to ultimately be his best and succeed, and I think it's the challenge that we all go through as we're trying to lead companies, as we're trying to build a winning team, as we're trying to raise uh, great kids, we will all face those challenges, but it's how we overcome them, and this is really a, a big gist of the book.
0: So training camp is the background. Right. I don't consider this really a sports story, and most people who read it
1: say they don't. At first, they might think it is, then they start reading it, and they're like, oh, wow, this is really a life story. I've had dancers email me say it helped them with their dancing. I've had scientists email me say it they realized that they had to continue working, staying focused on, on, on their discoveries, on their research, saying it helped them with that. So I've had people from all walks of life get the lessons regardless of, of what profession they're in.
0: So the principles you write in the book about how, the, you know, the best really do it better than most, uh, tell me about how you formulated your thoughts around those things or what your experiences were that put together this list for you or these principles.
1: Well, I interviewed a lot of people in a variety of, of fields. I didn't do it in a scientific way. I just interviewed a lot of the best of the best. I interviewed race car drivers. I interviewed athletes. I interviewed artists. I interviewed doctors and nurses and teachers and CEOs and salespeople. So every time I would speak to a sales company, I would interview the best of the best in that sales company. And I started to notice that there were a pattern of characteristics. There was a pattern of greatness, as as you could say. There was a formula for success. And I realized that the formula could actually be implemented by anyone. These weren't things we were born with. These were habits. These were characteristics. These were things that people did every day and how they approached their life and their work. So these characteristics were common among all the people who were the best in their field. And so I looked at that, and then I tried to weave those habits, those principles, those characteristics in a story that would then be entertaining.
0: You state in your book that what you just talked about really are uh, skills and attitudes that basically any of us can apply. Yes. So, but the question begs itself, when you look at the best of the best, and, and as you talk and envision probably some of the people that you've interviewed, and, I, and I'm thinking, well, gosh, surely there's some people there that have, let uh, say, more talent than I do. And, and because they're more talented, they're probably going to be probably a little bit better than me. So... Did you find that by talking to these people that they had exceptional talent backed up by these habits and attitudes, or was it a combination that split kind of down the middle?
1: Well, they all had talent. I mean, you have to have some level of talent to succeed, but for everyone, they really did work harder than everyone else. That is what I was most struck with, is the fact that the best of the best, regardless of what profession or job, they really did work harder than everyone else. The teacher of the year worked harder than all the other teachers. The professional quarterback in the NFL, the best ones, like Peyton Manning, like Matt Ryan, like Joe Flacco, who recently won the MVP. These quarterbacks continue to work and develop their craft. So it's not just about talent. It's about infusing that talent with, with hard work, with, with passion, with a drive to get better, regardless of, of what profession they were in. So there's something I call the myth of greatness, where we, we think people were born that way. We think they were just lucky. We think they were just chosen. No, every one of these people really did work harder than everyone else. Will Smith, the famous actor, you know, was asked the secret to his success. He said, I'm not afraid to die on a treadmill. He said, you and I get on a treadmill next to each other, you're getting off first, or I died. He said, you may be smarter than me, you may be more talented than me, but you will not outwork me. I will not be outworked. So he actually considers himself of average talent and believes that he is a successful actor over the years because he's really worked hard at developing his craft. When I meet Teachers of the Year... They really focus on developing their craft. They don't see themselves as just a a teacher. They're like an artist. This is a craft that they're developing and that they're improving in and they're getting better at.
0: One of the things I want to talk about in your book that, um, and quite honestly, I I have not heard this term in a long time, but it was something that was told to me back in the 80s. And, and uh, early on in my sales career, when a person said, You know, Jim, if you want to get ahead in today's world, he said, You must become a lifelong learner. Mm. And then, you know, that's obviously one of the principles in, in your book. But uh, share with our audience uh, in the context of what you learned about these people becoming lifelong learners.
1: Well, they never think they've arrived at the door of greatness, they're always learning. They're always improving.
0: So you're telling me that some of these great athletes and, and people you've interviewed say to themselves, you know, I haven't arrived. I can get better at this, even though yes. they're maybe at the tops of their field.
1: LeBron James the other day just said the best basketball player in the world said, I just want to continue to get better. It's about getting better every day. Kevin Durant with the Oklahoma City Thunder practices like he's going to get cut from the team. The best authors and speakers continue to improve and develop their craft. I was speaking at a leadership conference. Zig Ziglar is in the front row a few years ago. He's taking notes. 82 years old, he's taking notes. Talk about distracting for me, someone I truly admire, a legend. And I ran over to Zig. I said, "Zig, one of the big goals of my life was to meet you." He looked at me and said, "You need to have bigger goals." <laughs> So here's Zig at 82 taking notes, not because I was up there, but because he's a lifelong learner. So in a great book called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, he quotes a study uh, with the Berlin Elite Academy of Music. This is a famous study that everyone's talking about now, that it takes 10,000 hours to become great at something. So how do you become an overnight success? You work really hard for 10 years which is about 10,000 hours, takes about 10 years to master. And so I was recently speaking to the guy who cuts my hair. I said, when did you become great at cutting, cutting hair? When did you truly feel like you mastered it? And he told me when he started, about 17, and he felt like he mastered it at 27. I said, this really, uh, fits. I'm a speaker. I started speaking about eight years ago. I've noticed a huge difference between five years and eight years in my speaking ability. And I know the next two, I'm going to get even better. And so it's about learning, growing, and improving. And those 10,000 hours to continue to master. Now, once you accumulate 10,000 hours, you're not done. You can continue to get even better. Look at the actors and the older actors, how how they're even better now when they were younger. That's because they've continued to master their craft.
0: It's one of the things you talk about in your book that is that uh, the best really know what they want. And I, w- I was with a person last night, and and they were talking about some of their job dissatisfaction. One of the things that a company I own called the Performance Group does is recruit top performing. VPs of sales and, uh, and salespeople all over the country. Right. And I was talking to this person, and she knows me from when I used to do sales training. She's been to my classes. And she's talked about how dissatisfied she is in her current role. And I said, well, then why don't you tell me where you want to work or what you want to be doing, and, and then I can probably point you in the right direction or I probably open those doors for you. And she says, well, I'm really open to a lot of different things. And I really don't know who I want to go work for. Mm-hmm. And then I thought to myself, well, well, then you're going to be dissatisfied in, in your role for a long time. Because if you don't know, how the heck do you expect anybody to know that in you? Right. And, and what I'm intrigued about, uh, and you bring it up again in your book, is, John, a lot of people don't really know what they want or where they want to be. And I'm curious of, of A, where do you think that comes from? And then the people that you talk to, uh, where does their focus on where they want to be, where did that come from?
1: Right. Well, for those who don't know what they want, right. that's okay. If you're listening to this, that's okay. We, are, we all are at a, part, in a point in our life. We're at a point in our life when we don't know what we want. We've all been at that point. I have been in that point. The point is, no matter what, you won't become great when you don't know what you want. So at that moment, you're still finding your way. But there will come a time where you have to really understand and know what it is you truly want. Because if you know what you want, you will do whatever it takes. You will overcome all the adversity. You will fight through all the challenges. To keep pursuing that goal, that vision, that dream. A company has to have a vision in order to be successful. A marathon runner has to continue to see where they're going, to see that finish line in order to get them past that 20th mile where most people quit the marathon. Most people quit the 20th mile because they lose their vision, and so they stop running. But the 26th mile, they don't quit because they can see it. They keep on moving towards it. We have to keep our vision alive, and if we keep our vision alive, it will keep us alive. So I tell people, okay, you may not know what you want, but what's your vision? Give me your ideal vision. Give me your big picture of of where you want to go. If you don't even know that, okay, then you're going to be a little lost. You're going to struggle. I was. I struggled. But once I found what I wanted, when I realized this was my calling, when I realized this was my purpose, that I was meant to write and speak, and it was around 32 years old that I figured it out, I truly started to to thrive. Not right away. Took time, took effort, took hard work, took a lot of challenges, a lot of rejection. But I knew what I wanted, so I kept on moving towards it. And that's what you find. You find that with students. You find that with people who want to go pre-med. You find that with athletes. You find that with actors who continue to pursue their their craft and pursue their dream. Once you know what you want, you'll do whatever it takes. Now, how do you know what you want? That's the million-dollar question. (laughs) Or I should say, that's the billion-dollar question. That actually led me to write a book called The Seed. And I wrote The Seed, which is about finding purpose and happiness in your life, and your work. And so it's all about purpose. And those questions from training camp led me ultimately to write the seed, which is how do we find our purpose?
0: All right. So what I hear you saying is, and thank you for that, because that put it in perspective for me. What, what I hear you saying is when I was talking to this lady last night, I caught her in that stage, right. of not knowing, rather than the condition of not knowing.
1: Great point, yes. There are four stages to purpose that I write about in the scene, and the first stage is the preparation stage. The preparation stage leads you to the planting stage. The planting is when you decide, this is what I want. I'm going to plant myself where I am and grow and serve and make a difference, and I'm going to really thrive into that that stage. But the preparation stage is where she is right now, still searching, still finding her way, still struggling, still working that soil, getting ready to be planted.
0: And yeah, no, I'd venture to say, just listening to you, that, we really don't break out towards being great and, until we answer those questions. So you we can be, we, Yeah. You,
1: okay. you can't because you can't start to master your craft. You can't start to work at it. You can't start to develop it. You won't be willing to overcome all the challenges and adversity if you don't know what you truly want. And people often ask, but I don't know what I want, just like you hear the same thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I want. And I believe that's our quest in life is to actually seek and find it. Because once you find it, and once you know it, then life becomes a meaningful, rewarding, and and exciting journey.
0: Okay, thank you for that. The other thing that stuck out to me that most people don't talk about in terms of getting great at something or achieving something, and that's mental toughness. And you spend some time in your book talking about that. So share with our audience the importance of mental toughness, and then what you consider the makeup of that? What, what defines mental toughness? Well,
1: mental toughness is our ability to overcome our challenges. It's our ability to, to stay calm and positive under pressure and under uh, high tense situations. My son is a tennis player. He has to have mental toughness if he wants to succeed. A doctor who is in the middle of a surgery where it's a matter of life or death must have mental toughness. To succeed at work on a daily basis, mental toughness is required. To be a mom dealing with kids like my wife, dealing with our, our two teenagers, man, she needs mental toughness. By the way, we were very glad that school is, is, is almost over. It is a, it's been a challenging year for, for both of us. You know, We've had have a lot of mental toughness to get through these, these challenges. So how do you get it? Well, you get it by being in the present moment. Part of mental toughness is, is focusing just on the present moment. You're not thinking about the past. You're not thinking about the future. You're just in the moment. That's one of the key aspects. Another key part of mental toughness is to feed the positive versus the negative. I often talk about in the energy bus, and I wrote a book called The Positive Dog. We have two dogs inside of us. We have a positive dog, a loving, kind, and generous dog, and then we, have, we also have a mean-spirited, angry, negative dog, and they fight all the time. But the one who wins is the one you feed the most. So feed the positive dog. And we become mentally tough by feeding ourselves with positive thoughts, emotions, and beliefs. And since writing training camp, one of the best advice I ever heard was from a guy named James Gills, Dr. James Gills. The only person on the planet to complete four double Ironman triathlons, which means you do an Ironman triathlon and then you do another one back-to-back, was asked how he did it. He said it was simple, really. I have learned to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. He said if I talk to myself, I can feed myself with the words and the encouragement I need to keep going. If I listen to myself, I'm going to I'm gonna hear all the fear, all the self-doubt, all the negatives that keep me from running the race. And the same with life. Mental toughness is about feeding the positive, weeding the negative, and focusing on the present moment.
0: So you're telling me some of the top athletes are – people you have met, um, give themselves positive affirmations all the time? Yeah.
1: I mean, they, they, they talk positive to themselves. They surround themselves with positive people. We know that we perform in a, in a greater way when we are positive versus negative. We know that positivity enhances creativity. And we know that if you're not being positive, if you're not being negative, that's a key aspect as well. Like, hmm. you're better off not even thinking. Yeah. So, so you may so the best athletes may not even be thinking anything positive or negative in that moment. They're just not thinking. But that's what I'm talking about. They're in the present moment. They're in the middle, in the flow, in the zone where you're not even thinking. You are just doing what you do, and that is even more powerful than thinking positive or negative. Is to be in that moment, so engrossed in it that you're in what they call flow.
0: So, what are some of the other key insights as you put this together? Um, about how the best really do get better at what they do, you you can share with the audience today,
1: you know one of my favorites is that it 's not even about you it 's about making others better. The best make everyone around them better through their own pursuit of excellence. They raise the standards so high that they raise the performance of everyone around them, so everyone works harder to keep up with this person. They set the standards. Think about Peyton Manning in the NFL. Everyone around Peyton Manning gets better because they have to keep up with, with him. Think about someone who's really great in their job, a writer, and you read their book and you, and you think, wow, I've got to get back to the drawing board. i gotta, I got to think a little more on this. Look at the, how how good this person is. So they raise the level. They raise the stakes. They raise the standards. But they also, their positivity, their mental toughness, their ability to inspire others also make their teammates better. So great leaders make everyone around them better. Great principals bring out the best in their teachers. Great teachers bring out the best in their students. Great parents bring out the best in their in their children. So part of training camp is how do I become the person that that not only sets the standard to do my example, but also is positively contagious and leaves a positive legacy of those around me. That's where the story comes in where this coach, it's all about the legacy ultimately that this coach leads in this player's lives. And I've had coaches tell me that this book changed the way they coach. I've had players tell me that this book changed the way they approach the game. You know, Damian Lillard, the NBA Rookie of the Year, told me just the other day that he, he read training camp three times before going to the NBA, three times to get his mind right, three times to, to prepare and realize how hard he had to work if he wanted to be his best, and he winds up becoming an NBA Rookie of the Year. Just a great example of 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 what happens when we start to focus on being our best and bring out the best in others.
0: You know, it's interesting because some of the best coaches that I have had the experience of being around have, uh, have told me that, you know, I'm hold on a second. I'm going to start that over Don. Um, you know, you bring up an interesting point, John, because some of the best coaches that I have been around when I ask them why they do what they do, they they typically don't tell me. Well, because I I want to be the best baseball coach or I want to be the best football coach. When in essence they tell me is I want to be the best life coach. Mm. I want I want to teach my players what it is about life, and it just so happens to be in the framework of you know leading a band or uh, you know leading a softball team. And I find it so what you' what i what I really take away from these you said they see a bigger mission in life, which is leading a legacy with their players other than the sport they play because we only played the sport or uh, for a short period of time, no matter what you're involved in
1: yes, I mean you know you're a great coach when when the legacy you leave off the field is much mm. greater than the legacy you left
0: on yeah. the field interesting so you you're with a um um with the president of a company today, Uh, the one piece of advice you're giving them is what?
1: Great question. Because I would give them a lot of pieces of advice. But, But if I had to give one piece of advice, the president of a company, first and foremost, build a great culture. When you focus on your culture, Culture drives behavior, behavior drives habits, and habits create the future. I was just talking to Ken Blanchard the other day of the Ken Blanchard Companies, the author of The One Minute Manager. They've just done some research in their company, and the greatest determinant of someone's success in an organization is actually not the person but the organization. It's the organization that determines the person's success. So the culture we create, the environment we create that allows people to be successful that's the key. So I try to create environments with coaches, with leaders, with heads of companies to create that great culture that allows people to thrive. That's part of my work, and I realized how important that is. And then on the individual level, I try to give the individual tools that allows them to be their best within that culture. Now, from an individual relationship standpoint, I would tell that president of the company to focus on your relationships, that, that it is the relationships – And the purpose that drives the numbers, it's not the numbers that drive the people. So you have to have relationships with your people. And if they know you care about them, they will allow you to push them. So I call it love tough. We have to love tough. If you love them and care about them, it allows you to push them and challenge them to get better. Too many people try to do tough love without the love. They're all tough, but they don't care. And then people aren't motivated to perform at a higher level. True motivation comes from knowing that your manager and your boss cares
0: about you. The best culture you've seen is where then?
1: So many. I mean, I've seen a lot of great examples. I mean, obviously people talk about uh, Southwest all the time. Amazing culture. I was with Clemson football recently. I'm going back there in August to speak to the Clemson football team. Dabo Sweeney, the coach there, has built an incredible culture. Nebraska Softball just built an incredible culture, really focusing on the energy bus this year. It's amazing what they've done. But I mean, it's just, uh, it's exciting when you see a company really focus on culture. And then you can see how the culture determines everything they do. Apple is famous for saying culture beats strategy. It will be interesting to see if Apple can maintain that culture. You watch. If they can maintain it, they will continue to be successful for the next 20, 30 years. If they can't maintain it, they will go downhill. It will be whether they can maintain the culture that Steve Jobs and the founders set from
0: the very beginning. So is there um... – oh, well, I'm going to ask you a different question here.
1: Wait, 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 let me think for a second. I was recently with a company – that had an amazing culture. And I'm trying to remember.
0: Um, well, you, you hit upon something very interesting because you know, the well, the yeah. two, the two things that I, that I always hear is, um, hire great people and, um, get the culture, right. But, you know, it sounds so, um, simple, but it yet appears to be so difficult, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Oh, if I can only get those two things right, right? So yeah. the, I'm curious of, of this, um, your insight on this culture thing because we all talk about it. But do we really know what the makeup of our great culture is? Do we know? Do we know what the, the elements of that?
1: Yes, I wrote a book called Soup on that, <laughs> <laughs> which is the ingredients to building a culture of greatness.
0: So the one or two insights you could share with us on that then.
1: Sure. I mean, well, one, leading with optimism. Optimism is essential for a great culture. And love is a key aspect of a great culture. Having people know that the company cares about them. It sounds like common sense, but most organizations, most leaders don't care. But when you show your team you care and the people know you care, that contributes to a great culture. Excellence is key to a great culture. An organization, a company that embodies the principles from training camp and thrives and and strives towards excellence, that is essential for building a great culture. We are improving every day. We're about getting better. Humility is actually very important. Yes, you you can be confident, but you're humble and hungry knowing you're learning and growing and improving every day, essential for a great culture. Communication. Communication is so important for a great culture. Most teams and organizations break down because of poor communication. So I can go on and on. That's a whole other topic of yeah. building a culture of greatness.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that, because your I think your insight on the one piece of your advice, I think, is some of the best that I've heard. And anything we can learn around those things, I think, uh, get us to where we need to be. So, John, is there one question today that uh, I should have asked you that I haven't?
1: You asked a lot of great questions. Oh, thank you. I, I, so, so, I think um, if there if so, if there was one question that
0: you, I should have asked you that you
1: should have asked me, it would be. I don't know i think you ask great questions thank you yeah but the, um, you'll be able to re- you'll be able to cut that part out right oh absolutely all right good
0: yeah but uh, trust me the we have a really good editor um <laughs> but um um okay, so uh if i wanna learn more about training camp uh where do I go?
1: you can go to my website at johngordon that's j o n gordon.com, or you can go to trainingcamp11.com, trainingcamp11.com. Got a ton of resources on there for training camp, an action plan, a playbook, and some exciting things to help uh, implement training camp with you
0: and your team. Um. I was just formulating another question, so give me a second. Okay. John, you mentioned several books you have written on our, in our program today. Let me start over. John, you have mentioned the titles of several books you have written in our program today. And just listening to you, I'm somewhat intrigued now about the other books you have written. So, Because it seems like they're all connected in some way or another. So if I really wanted to go study about building great teams and great cultures and 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 uh, getting my organization to be the best is there really a sequence of books you have written or or what sequence of your the books you have written should I be reading is there a sequence to those Well
1: most people read The Energy Bus first. The Energy Bus is my most popular book. It's used by tons of Of companies and organizations it's a Wall Street Journal bestseller so that's where most people start I also highly recommend soup if you're a leader and you want to build a great culture it's a it's a recipe to nourish your team and culture and it teaches the ingredients necessary to build a culture of greatness and then a lot of organizations recently have been using the positive dog which is all about how do we feed ourselves with positivity and then feed our teams to increase that positive ratio. We know that teens thrive when they have more positive interactions versus negative interactions. So how do we increase that ratio? How do we develop a, a more positive team, a more positive organization, a more positive culture? And so that book's a very short, fun little story that helps people do that. So I would do that. I would go Energy Bus, I would do Soup, then I would do the Positive Dog.
0: Most people end up on BizTalk because I found the book and – most books i find i when I'm traveling through airports but um you came to me through a friend of mine who said you got to read training camp hmm. and and um, he was so inspired by it. he had everybody in his organization read it and and they've actually studied it and they they got together and did reports on it and i thought that so when a person like that gets that involved i says well this is something that we have to take a look at but i'm curious uh what's the biggest thing that has surprised you since you've written the book and you've had a chance to get out and meet people?
1: You know, I've just been honored and excited and, and, and thrilled the way people have embraced training camp, the way people have embraced the energy bus. You know, when I wrote these books, I, I really didn't expect that people would embrace them the way they have, the way leaders have taken these books and made them their own. That's my thing is that I don't really feel like I own them. I feel like I'm giving tools and information and principles that allow leaders to use them to build their cultures, their teams, their organization. And I think people feel that. I think people feel that that giving nature because it makes them want to use it. We give a lot of free tools that allow people to use it. And so that's our, our uh that's our motivation. That's our drive is to see people be successful. So that's been really rewarding, surprising, the way people have embraced it, the way they've used it, and the, the benefit they've had from it. You know, when I hear from, you know, the Atlanta Falcons and knowing that, you know, Energy Bus made a difference in their team and Mike Smith – you know, really uses the principles. You know, it's, it's, it's rewarding when I hear from a, a company like UPS in the, in the Northwest region. And the president of Northwest, uh, the region of UPS, she rolled the book out to her thousand leaders, and then all eleven thousand employees, and to see how that had an impact on their morale, their performance, and their numbers, because they actually measured it. I finally had a company actually measure it. Uh, to see the results, it was really exciting to see. So that's that's, I guess, the most surprising the way these books have have really impacted organizations and culture and people. But it's it's uh, it's also the most rewarding thing that I, I get to do. That's why I do what I do. I, I get to 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 see people uh, benefiting from it and really making a difference.
0: Yeah, I think you're spot on. A lot of people. Uh, write books that people get to read. Few of us get to write books that people embrace. Thank you. Wow, right that's
1: really nice. Thank you.
0: Okay, so um, what's next? What's next? Uh, what's on uh, uh, John's radar screen? What, what can we look forward to that you're involved with that you're excited about?
1: Yeah, well, I'm writing my my next book, and uh, oh, I say I'm writing, but I'm just getting a lot of ideas for it, and that's how I begin the process. I have sort of the gist, I have the the concept, and then the story has to start to unfold and the lessons and the principles have to start to unfold but I'm writing my next book it will be out by next May I'll probably write it in December I seem to write every December I write for about a month Uh, three weeks three and a half weeks it takes to, to write a book once I get going so I'll start December 1st but right now I'm getting getting all the ideas for it and it's about caring it's about caring about the work we do it's about caring about others And it's about how do we stand out and grow our business. And I believe if we want to stand out and we grow our business, we care because most people don't. (laughs) So if you care, (laughs) if you care, wow, you begin the process of growing and standing out. So it's sort of that simple concept that I'm going to really build on and expand on.
0: John, thanks for being on the program.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.